And we're going to look at the whole of Numbers 12, 1 through 15. Once while uh, preaching, John Wesley noticed a lady in the uh, audience. And John Wesley was a great Methodist minister and evangelist. But once while he was preaching, he noticed a lady sitting in the audience who was known for her critical attitude. She, she had that reputation about her. And all through the service, she sat there and she stared. Now, now I don't know if any of y'all do that. You don't do, do that to me. She sat there and stared at John Wesley and stared at his new tie. When the, when the meeting ended, she came up. And said uh, very sharply, Mr. Wesley, the strings on your bow tie are much too long. It is an offense to me. Ever had anyone say that to you? Well, he asked the ladies who were present if there happened to be a pair of scissors in her purse or their purses. When the, the scissors were handed him to him, he gave them to his critic and Asked her to trim the streamers to her liking or trim the tie to her liking. Went after her and she did, by the way. And after she clipped them off near the collar, he said to her, are you sure they are all right now? Yes, that is much better. Then let me have those shears a moment, said Wesley. I'm sure you wouldn't mind if I also gave you a bit of correction. Because I don't want to be cruel, but I must tell you, madam... Your tongue is an offense to me. It's too long. Please stick it out. I like to take some of it off. I, I would just wish I had that much wit. I mean, how many of you would have loved to have been able to say something like that? How many of you have faced, without raising your hand, face criticism? In your life. It just makes you so angry sometimes that you just like to take out and just just cut right back at them, don't you? That's what you want to do. I want to suggest today that that's really not our answer. I want to suggest today as we face the temptation to be critical or to be criticized, the answer is the same. It's the choice to choose compassion over criticalness. That's what I want you to go away with today. Whether you struggle with being a criticizer or you get criticized, the answer is the same. It's the choice to choose the compassion of Christ over criticalness. That's our choice. As we enter into our passage here today in Numbers chapter 12, we have just come off where we were finished talking about a group of people who uh, were complainers. They were grumblers. They're they're known for being murmurers. And we learned last week that the, the, the answer for complaining and grumbling is that we need to choose. Uh, we need to make a choice of gratitude over grumbling. Well, the reality is, though, as we enter into chapter uh, 12 here. The, the, the complaining didn't stop. The complaining continued. 
As a matter of fact, as you go through Numbers 11 through, through, through uh, 16, you'll find and on through the book of Numbers that complaining is just uh, ingrained in the people uh, of Israel. And you'll find that this, this attitude of complaining will actually lead them to a place of desert living, one that is dry and fruitless. And that's what it is. That's the way it is with our attitudes. One's attitudes can lead to desert living, dry and fruitless, or to the land of blessing, which is fertile and fruitful. Our attitudes are important. That is the way we think about life are important. You don't want to be marked by being complaining, but instead of gratitude, as we'll learn today, you don't want to be marked by criticalness, but compassion. Look at our text here. As you'll find, uh, complaints and then criticalness is kind of its close cousin. Criticalness in, in many ways, where complaint focuses on things and situations, criticalness tends to focus in on people. Look at our text. Verse 1, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against, or they criticized Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. They spoke against him. They, 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 in essence, they attacked him. They criticized him. Imagine what Moses is feeling here. In chapter 11, he had just been immensely frustrated by the complaint of people, and he caught the bug himself and started to complain. They were complaining over their meals that came directly from heaven. How you complain about that, I don't know. All right? But they did. And it frustrated him and it got him so, oh, so angry that he himself called that God would just take him out and he would just kill him. Just kill me, God. I've had enough. And so he just gets over that. And then here... He is so discouraged, and now his family comes and adds to that burden and speaks against him. I mean, his family, they, they, they were a team. Miriam was, uh, and Moses and Aaron had all been sent by God to the nation of Israel to, to lead it. Miriam was the one who had actually helped save her younger brother. Miriam was also a, a prophetess. She was a leader. She sang out and praised towards God when no other men stepped up. She did. Aaron was the elder brother in the family. He was appointed by God not only to assist Moses, but Aaron was the first high priest. These are some sharp figures. They were his teammates. But they began to criticize him. Began to carry on, uh, 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 to kind of focus in on his person, and particularly, I didn't know how to really make this a, a Paxton. You're not, are you in here still? I didn't know how to really make this into a criticizing person, so I just decided I was going to put glasses on him. Not that if you wear glasses, you're a critical person, but the idea was that uh, uh, you know you kind of focus in on things a little bit more. Does that does that work, Chris? Does that work? Okay, thank you. So. I'm not an artist, you can tell. Uh, but they focused in on him and they, they begin to criticize him. And it's from his family. You know what that feels like? 
the ones that you think love and should support you. And then they begin to nitpick at you. I mean, it's one thing to be criticized by a bunch of grumblers who, you know, you've been chosen by God to lead them out. But the the people that, you know, that you grew up with, you you played games with. It just shows you how deadly the disease of complaining and criticalness is. I realize that there are some of you here today who probably had a father or a mother who was critical. Just couldn't seem to do anything right, could you? I mean, they're your mom and dad. You knew they loved you, but they just always had something. You know, you would do something great, but then they would turn around and, well, you didn't do this or this. Or I would have done it this way or that way. They're critical. And reality is when we are set with such patterns of nurturing, the sad thing that often happens is that habit of criticism that you lived under can easily become your habit. And that's why I want to encourage you that you have to make a choice to not make that a habit in your family, to not make that a habit in your life. It starts with this first. Because when we have parents who are criticizing, we have family that criticizes like that, oftentimes we have a wrong conception of who God is. And we begin to imagine that this God of ours, much like our own father, perhaps he's a nitpicking critic too. Let me tell you something, he's not. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That God demonstrated his love for us, that we were, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is, he loved you right how you were with all the things that you could be criticized for. He loved you in spite of those things. He had compassion on you. He loves you and accepts you. And remember, he loves you so much that when you come into faith in Christ, that he loves you so much that he, he will make some constructive criticism in your life. Because he wants to grow you and mature you, but he does it with grace and mercy and abundant forgiveness. That is, he doesn't keep bringing it up to you. Maybe like your mom and dad did. Can you feel the pain that maybe Moses was feeling here? That Aaron and Miriam would be criticizing him. Now, before we go on, let's just get a a definition of what criticism is. And this is not my definition, but let me give it to you. This comes from James McDonald. By the way, there are some books out there. If you want further help with attitudes and be able to disciple your kids in this, I encourage you to take use of this resource uh, that I have out there. But criticism, he defines, is dwelling upon the perceived faults of another with no view to their good. It's dwelling upon the perceived faults of another with their view to their no good. First, why does it say perceived faults? It's this, because oftentimes when we're criticizing, we don't know all the facts. We don't really understand the whole situation. Or we might be coming from a biased viewpoint that really the fault is not with them, but it's with us. So negative or destructive criticism starts here with 
the perceived faults of another. Second, it's, it's a dwelling upon them. It's, it's an indication that, you know, there's a place and it's, it, there's a place for criticizing and being concerned with details and looking at things. But it's that kind of person that just can't ever stop from doing that. It is, despite it, they just know that I've got to say this remark to them. I've got to point out this fault to them. It's my gifting. No, it's not. It's called sin. Is what we'll see here in a little bit. It's also, I think it's important here, with no view to a person's good. Because you might say, well, Matt, isn't there, there is a place for criticism. Yes. There's a place for what we call constructive criticism. Milton Burrow was dining with his wife when a waiter put too much pepper on her salad. And Mrs. Burrow said, and she offered constructive criticism back and she said, can I have more salad? That, you didn't get that, I know. That was constructive criticism. She could have said it in a very negative way, but she said it constructively. There's a place where we're to come alongside each other. And where as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. There's a place when you need to go up gently and gracefully to your brother or sister in Christ and say, I love you, but I need to point this out and share this with you. There's a need for that and there's a place for that. But the people who dwell upon that, there's something wrong. It becomes destructive criticism. In fact, the temptation for people who dwell upon that is often to try to uh, say that their criticism is actually constructive criticism. They kind of live under that mantle. But the reality is in their heart, they like it. So I want want to give you four questions you need to ask yourself before you go to a brother or sister in Christ to, to analyze whether I should offer this criticism. The first question is this. Am I motivated by an earnest desire for the welfare of the person I think needs correcting? Is, is, what is my motivation? Am I really concerned about their welfare? Or is it I just like to criticize? It's a relief for me. Second, we need to ask this. Am I going to face the person honestly but gently. Honesty is important. But we speak the truth in love, as Ephesians tells us. We come gently. We come humbly knowing that, you know what? <laughs> I may have the same critical area in my own life. Third, we asked, this is, a, this is an important question. Do I find the task thoroughly disagreeable or am I secretly getting some pleasure out of it? That is, when you go to correct somebody, is it like, man, this, I don't want to do this. This is tough. There's, no, there's nothing fun about it. Or do you go like, yes, I can't wait to tell them about this. Hey, you did this and this. All right, you, you hop the critical glasses on quick. What is it for you? Ask yourself that question. And fourth, ask yourself, have I prayed significantly about the situation? 
I still remember a sermon I heard in college by a friend. And the, 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 the big idea of the whole sermon was this. Do you criticize more than you pray for? Do you criticize more than you pray for? Is your, is your critical list longer than your prayer list? Do you criticize more than you pray for? That's a, that's a great question to ask yourself. Let me throw out one other suggestion to you, too. If you know yourself to be a negative nanny or just a sour Sam, you're just kind of a half glass kind of person, or you walk through life as one person described, saying to yourself, that's not right, or who, who's, who thought that looks good, or, or someone should have taken care of that, or get a little more relevance, if you, if you sit through the worship service and you make mental notes like, like, What's wrong with the PowerPoint guy? Why can't he stay up with the song? Huh? Or if you're one of those back there that you're just saying, why do they keep playing that song? Or it's too loud or it's too soft. I want some more hymns. I want some more contemporary songs. If if you're a person that sits through a worship service and that predominates your, your experience here, let me give you a little suggestion. Trust God to go take care of criticizing someone else. It's probably best that you just don't, I mean, I guess I don't want to say, just be cautious. Be real cautious. You're in dangerous territory if that's your life, and you need to get a handle on that first before you confront other people. Now, why was Miriam and Aaron speaking with... With Moses, what, what were they criticizing him about? Why are they speaking against him? Well, look at the text. They spoke against him, Moses, because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. And then he says it again, for he had married a Cushite woman. Now, the leader of this criticism, first of all, seems to be Miriam. And, and why? So, well, how do you know that? Well, there's a couple reasons. Because when you look at it. Uh, in the, in the Hebrew, uh, her name comes first, as it does here. But also, the, the, the verb for spoke against is in the feminine singular. It's a feminine singular verb, which it seems to indicate that it was probably Miriam who, who, who took the charge. She was kind of the, the point person. And then later in our text, as we'll see, it's Miriam who gets the discipline. And, and so I tend to wonder... Because Aaron was kind of this way anyway. He kind of just went along with things. If you remember him back when they made the golden idol. I, I think Miriam was the strong one in this. And I think Aaron, he's not innocent by any means, but got sucked into it. And then isn't that the way that criticalness works? Some of the ladies were talking, uh, folding up bulletins this Friday. And they were, they were being, they were, they, they were looking over my sermon notes and stuff and they were making comments of, they weren't criticizing me by the way. But they were making comments of too, of how easy it is. You're just kind of sitting there along and you're just kind of maybe chit-chatting with somebody and before you know it, they say a critical comment about someone. And lo and behold, before all of a sudden what rolls out of your mouth is criticism for the person too. Criticism is infectious that way. It's, it's just, it just works that way. 
So many times I've caught myself and stuff has just come out and you're like, Matt, you idiot. Why are you partaking in this? Stop it. Don't fall for that. Be rude if you have to. Here's an excuse to be rude. If someone embarks in criticism, don't join them. Just don't do it. Get up, say, got to go. Walk away. Don't take part in it. Now, who is this Cushite woman? Some of you are thinking, I thought Moses was married to a Midianite named Zipporah. What's the deal with this? Well, my answer is I really don't know for sure. I'm really less guessing. There's several different beliefs on this. But first of all, the, the, the place of Cush could refer to areas near Ethiopia, but it also refers to areas in Midian. So maybe it is Zipporah. But it seems to me, because he makes the remark for he had married a Cushite woman, it seems to me like this was a more immediate like this was a new development. Perhaps we don't know because Scripture doesn't tell us, but maybe it's a poor diet. I mean, Moses was not a spring chicken here. OK, he was 81 years old. And maybe he's a poor died. And that's what it seems like to be here. But the point so much what what's what's not what the, the text is not concerned with is really who this is. But the issue. That is, Miriam and Aaron, they come and they start criticizing Moses because of his wife. And two times they say he was married to a Cushite, you know, one of those. A Cushite woman. A non-Israelite woman. And by the way, you're probably thinking, well, weren't they supposed not to bury people outside of Israel? No, they weren't supposed to marry Canaanites. They weren't supposed to marry Canaanites because that place was filled with idolatry. And so he didn't want them to marry those folks because they didn't want that to pervade into the nation, which, by the way, it did because people disobeyed. But the issue here for Miriam and Aaron is really an issue of prejudice. It's a racial issue. But this wasn't even really the real issue, though. If you drop down a chapter... You'll see the real issue was envy. But they start with totally something different. They start with criticizing his wife and they make it a racial issue. That's just how racism is. Racism isn't really about the color of someone's skin. That's what people make it. That's not it. It's something deeper. It's just a cover. It's what it is. Racism masks such things as fear. It masks such things as ignorance. And hatred probably for self and others. It masks a lack of personal security and masks the desire to control. Let me get real with you. Subtle or not so subtle racism still exists in our churches today. You shouldn't feel comfortable with this. But it does. And it's a sin. And it needs to be repented of. 
Racism within the body of church does immense harm to the witness of Christ. It does immense, it is a deep insult. I want you to get this. Racism is a deep insult against God. You say, well, how do you say, why do you say that? Because God created man and woman in his image and his likeness. So if you choose to be prejudiced against someone else because of their ethnicity or their color, it's insulting God who created them in his image and his likeness. It's a sin. Stop it. Don't even be passive about it with those around you. Don't join in it with them. I don't ever expect racism to end in this world. It's too fallen. Because the answer really for racism is Christ. Did you know the church has the answer for racism? Because only in Christ are there no longer Jews or Gentiles, no longer slave or free. It's only in Christ where we are made one. That goes past all colors and ethnicities and brings us together as one body under the headship of Christ. The church should shine as a place that despises racism. Because we have the answer. We have the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, that's where you should say yes. Now for Miriam, the racist and critical remarks simply masked their envy of Moses. Look what they say here. Verse two. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only? Look at this. Only through Moses. Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. And that's just here they are. Why does Moses get all the attention? We're leaders, too, and they were. They were great leaders. I mean, they're thinking, after all, God speaks through us because Miriam was a prophetess. And they're, they're probably thinking, shouldn't we get some credit? Shouldn't we get a little cred here? Come on. It's always Moses this, Moses that. Aaron and I are sick and tired of Moses. Ever felt that way? Come on now. Get real. A little tired of your boss getting all the attention? Yeah. This just shows us how easy criticism and envy can just kind of spiral us down to a self-centeredness. See, criticalness and envy cause us, they cause us, one, to stop trusting in God and Christ as our source of contentment. Miriam and Aaron stopped trusting in the sovereignty and the goodness of God that he had put them right in the position that they needed to be. That he needed to be high priest and she needed to be uh, the prophetess and that Moses needed to be the, the leader. It took them. It was, it was a lack of faith that was happening here in their, in their criticalness. And what that does, it begins to move us to compare ourselves to others. We start thinking, well, I'm more, I'm, I'm more attractive to them. Why, why, aren't, why aren't I being used in this way? In essence, then you start saying, God, you're just not being good to me. That's what criticalness and, and envy does. It distorts uh, your reality. 
Miriam and Aaron had some pretty significant places of leadership in this in the Israelites. But their criticism and their envy destroyed the reality. My question to you is what tends to cause you to be critical? You need to stop and ask yourself that. You need to write that down on on your notes. What tends to cause me to be critical? What is it? For me, sometimes anger with myself and others. Sometimes my own pride. Maybe love. See, it's criticism goes deeper. It's got roots. And these will packs and these are supposed to be roots. What are the roots that feed your criticism? Ask yourself that. And don't take a critical attitude lightly. Look, verse 2. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us so well? And the Lord heard it. Remember how we talked about it was in his ear last week? The Lord heard it. And guess what? He hears it when it comes out of our mouth, too. He hears it before it comes out of our mouth. You know, kids, when you're sitting there and you're coming to dinner at night and you start complaining. Because you do, right? Mom, I just don't this. I, I hate this food. This food's terrible. I'm not eating it. Are, are my kids the only ones that do that? Okay, just just be get with me here. Yeah. All right, kids, I'm talking to you. God hears that. He hears when you sit around and you complain about the dinner that you got. And you become just like those Israelites who complain from manna from heaven. Because that food you have right in front of you, that's from heaven too. God has given you a mom and dad who work, go out and buy that food and put it on a plate in front of you. Quit complaining about it. Quit criticizing. Just because you don't like green beans, put a little pepper on it, it gets better. All right. Now, notice this. How do we handle criticism? How do we handle these things? Well, notice first. It says there in verse three, now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. How would you like to have that written on you or about you? Now, Matt was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Wouldn't that be awesome? This didn't come easy for Moses, by the way. He was a prideful individual. God did some work in his life, took him to a a, a desert to put some humility in this guy. But it was worth it because humility is what God desires in someone. He despises the proud, but he exalts the humble. He loves the humble. And he used Moses in this way. I want to suggest to you that the first way to handle criticism in your life The first thing that you need to do is you need to be humble. First thing we want to do when criticism comes in our life is we want to fight back. I want to encourage you to be humble. Because a humble person is a teachable person. 
And, and, and even though that a lot of criticism or constructive or destructive criticism is wrong, sometimes there's a shades of truth in there that we can still learn from, right? Yeah. But we need to handle it with humility. Sir uh, Ed, uh, Hillary Edmond um, was a, as you guys know, conquered the Mount Everest. He received numerous rewards for uh, his feet to uh, climb Mount Everest. He was awarded. Well, one time he had gone back, as he often did, went back to uh, the uh, Mount Everest, and he was visiting there in the Himalayas, and he was spotted by a group of tourists. And these tourists, um, they begged for him to come and pose in a picture for him. And they not only wanted to pose in the picture, but they wanted to pose with like climbing gear and things like that. And so as they were sitting there posing and as he's holding the climbing pick and things, um, along comes another hiker. And all of a sudden, the hiker comes up to Sir Edmund Hillary and says, oh, you're holding the pick all so wrong. And he starts moving around and shaping it like, here's how you're supposed to handle the pick. And all these people around them were just aghast. And guess what Sir Edmund Hillary said? Nothing. He just listened and smiled and went on about it. And sometimes that's the best response we can have with criticism. Matter of fact, you'll notice in our passage here, Moses does nothing to defend himself. He says absolutely nothing except the prayer that he'll offer, as we'll see. Sometimes saying nothing is the most powerful way to handle critics. Second, the way to handle it is sometimes the best thing to do is to trust God with your critics. Don't always be quick to confront. I still remember a story uh, when I was in college. In my, I was in leadership of something and my leadership was challenged and I was being criticized. And when I found out these criticisms I, I, and who it came from, I remember picking up the phone and calling this person and I gave them a piece of my mind. Guess what, how that helped the criticism? It proved the criticism, if anything. I remember talking to my advisor later, and he just warned me. He said, Matt, you're in leadership. Just keep going about doing what you're supposed to do. You don't even need to respond to that kind of stuff. And sometimes that's the best thing we need to do. Not respond, be humble, and then just trust God to handle our critics for us. We see this. Look here. Verse four. Suddenly the Lord said uh, to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, you three come out of the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out and then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam when they had both come forward. He said, hear now my words. And I have in mind uh, the picture of Aslan. I I have that kind of big booming voice in mind. You remember some of those scenes in the Chronicles of Narnia when he's about to confront the kids? Yeah, you get it. And at the same time, he's confronting them with a long, strong voice. But at the same time, you can feel the grace in there a little bit. I think that's what I feel here. And maybe that's what Miriam and Aaron were feeling here. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I follow what he's saying here. I, I, I shall speak with him in a dream. But then get this. Not so with my servant Moses. In essence, he's different. He's unique. See, see, God is taking care of Moses' critics. 
He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth. Literally, that it's an anthropomorphism. It's, you know, God doesn't literally have a mouth. He's spirit. But it's, in essence, he's saying we're, we're this close. We're, 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 we're face to face, mouth to mouth. We have intimate relationship, a close relationship with each other. Even openly and not in dark sayings. It is, he, he doesn't shroud it in, in things that are somewhat mysterious. He was just very clear with, with Moses. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Remember, Moses saw the back of the Lord pass by and saw him in his glory. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? You know, I imagine it's a long pause. In other words, he's saying, y'all need to step back. Just back off. Get away from Moses. Quit criticizing him. You say, well, Matt, why didn't God do that for me? I mean, yeah, all these people criticizing me. Why didn't he just come in his big booming voice like Aslan and, and speak that into some people's in my life? One time when I was in college, I, re- I remember... I was at, we used to have chapel services often, but I remember being in the chapel and all of a sudden this other lady comes up and she stops me and she said, uh, I want to apologize to you. I have thought a lot of things about you and I've been very critical about you. I had no idea about this. But evidently, she, because of some of the people I ran with, some of the things that I did and I was involved with on campus, not bad things, good things, just kind of high-profile things, she had this certain view of, of who I was and what my character was. But unbeknownst to me, she just comes up and she tells me this. She just says, I, I'm sorry, because I see that that's not you. And through some ever avenues, she began to learn my heart. And who I really was. And I learned something from that. Well, I didn't know that criticism. I did learn that I can trust God to handle my critics. Even the ones I don't know about. And while there is a place to sometimes to lovingly, gently confront, not always. Most often let God. Last, this reminds me we need to pray for your critics. Because criticism can do a lot of damage to people. It can hurt them. Look at this. Verse 9. So the anger of the Lord burned against them. Again, that is literally anger has to do with the nostrils. Remember how I told you last week that, uh, that it was, it's like as if the writer was picturing uh, nostrils flaring. And that's probably what's happening here. The anger of the Lord is, is burning. He, he's not happy about it. Oh, that was bad. That's supposed to be a lightning bolt. But God was not not happy. He was he was angry. I'm sorry, Paxton, that was bad. Um, but he, he comes and, he, and he, he, his anger burns. See, one of the first things that criticism does and envy does is critical attitudes hinder our fellowship with God. They hinder our, our, our fellowship with God, because notice there. So the anger of the Lord burned against them and he departed. He left them. There was a separation that that occurred. Now, it's not talking about 
uh, a separation of relationship. So that's not what it's talking about here. I mean, I may be critical of my wife, but fortunately she doesn't, you know, just divorce me for such dumb comments that I make. All right. Now, she may not cuddle up next to me either for a while. So I get sense in my mind and I go and I tell her I'm sorry. But so that's the sense here. There's a what happens is when we become critical, it puts a wedge between our relationship and our fellowship with God. And it keeps us from enjoying the fullness of his presence. Now, look what it says here in verse 10. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous as white as snow. As Aaron turned down toward turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Now, I want to I want to suggest I think there's great irony in here. I think there's great irony. She was leprous, white as snow. What was her? She was had a racial criticism. I have no doubt that God could have said, hey, you're going to make those kind of remarks. Let me make a little point about your skin. Then Aaron said to Moses, oh, my Lord. Again, there's 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 uh, by the way, there's irony in this statement that Moses is making. Oh, my Lord, you do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. You see, criticism ruins our fellowship with, with God because it's sin. It's foolishness. Oh, Aaron goes on, oh, do not let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. See, the reality is criticism is destructive. It hurts us. It harms us. In this case, it called leprosy. Sometimes you need to ask, what are the, the things that are it's causing in our lives? It may not be leprosy of the skin, but it could be leprosy on the insides. Because you show me a person who is, has a destructive, critical attitude. And most often I can go show you a person who has depression in their life, who is overwrought with bitterness and anger in their lives. I, I, I Right now, I think of illustrations that come from past ministry. The inside, you're hurting more than you realize. Now, notice this. Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, oh, God, heal her, I pray. And we'll come back to this. But the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face and spitting was a, a thing of contempt, would she not bear her shame for seven days? In essence, he's saying, hey, you have shown contempt to me. And there's going to be some shame as a result. There's results. There's consequences to our sin. Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp and afterwards she may be received again. So for her disrespect, there's consequences. So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days and the people did not move on. And so Miriam was received again. Now, this is a, a discipline mixed with uh, a mixture of grace because God, obviously, he heals her of the leprosy. But according to the law, she has to stay outside the camp for seven days. See, not only does criticism hinder our fellowship with God, does it hurt us, but it also it hinders community with others. And it hurts others. For seven days, she had to stay outside the community of God. For seven days, the community of God was held back from moving on forward to the promised land. Criticism 
hurts our community with others. It's not worth it. So what's the answer? Well, I think the answer for us is hidden in verse 13. Go back to that. Moses cried out to the Lord saying, Oh God, heal her, I pray. Moses had said nothing else. Nothing else this whole time. Then the man who is wanting to, to get a little more uh, position, Aaron turns and says, all right, please intercede for me. And what does he do? He doesn't say, it's your bad. He doesn't say, well, that's what you get. All right. When you mess with the man, you get hurt. All right. So that's how God and I roll. All right. He didn't say that, did he? No, he said he began to pray. Oh, God, heal her. I pray. What this is, is a choice to choose compassion and love over criticalness and envy. He had every reason to turn around and be critical of Aaron and Miriam, but he didn't. He returned criticalness. He returned it with compassion. Let me show you a scripture of this, because I want you to see that just as Christ was a humble, in many ways Moses models Christ. And just as Christ would pray for those who were criticizing him, we see this in Moses. But I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, and actually I think I have it up here on the board. And I want to show you that the antidote for criticism is, is love. And see if I can make a heart here. Oh, that's that's pretty weak. I don't make a lot of Valentines, uh, but that's my attempt. But I, that looks more like an apple or don't tell me what it looks like. OK, it's uh, but the answer for criticism is love and compassion. And look at this verse here. I want you as I read through this, I want I want you to think, how is this so different than what Aaron and Miriam were doing and what criticism does? First of all, love is patient. We need to be patient with people because people do things that are worth criticizing, don't they? We all make mistakes. Love is kind, so we don't go and we don't make racist marks about someone's wife like Aaron and Miriam did. And is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomely. It's not rude. It does not seek its own. It doesn't go, hey, what about me? God speaks through me. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffering. It is it's forgiving. So there was probably a lot Moses needed to be forgiven of. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. This is the exact opposite attitude that Miriam and Aaron had towards Moses. And this is the exact opposite attitude that we need to put. It's the antidote to criticalness in our lives. Is to have compassion and love. And some of you are saying, Matt, you just don't understand how ingrained this criticalness is in me. I want to tell you it's in your flesh. It's where it's at. I want to tell you that Christ has given you power over your flesh. Let me share another verse with you here in Galatians 5, verse 19. 
Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, and things like these, like criticism. Those are things in your flesh. The reality is that you and I in ourselves, we can't stop from keeping from being critical. It's just part of us. But God has given us something else. He's given us his spirit. Verse 22 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's all those things. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. In essence, if you struggle with criticalness in your life, daily you need to depend on the Holy Spirit to enable you to choose compassion over criticalness. Every day, part of your life ought to be, Lord, I know I can be critical today. Please help me put off my flesh and help me walk in the power of your Holy Spirit. And maybe it's not just in the morning. Maybe it's that person as you walk in, it's the person that, oh, I have something to criticize about. They say, Lord, I need you now. Help me to be loving. Help me to be patient. That's going to be a regular practice of our lives. To depend daily on the Holy Spirit for Christ-like compassion and love. Now, oftentimes I have a closing illustration. But this morning my illustration is communion. You say, well, why communion? Well, first, as we lead into communion, let me read a passage of Scripture to you. In Luke 23, verse 33, when they came to the place called the skull, where they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right and another on the left, and then verse 34, and they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. And that the rulers were, were severe critics of Christ, by the way. They're the Pharisees and others and Sadducees. Let him save himself if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription above him. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanging there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. I want you to tell me something. Was Jesus criticized? Were people critical of him? I left something out when I read through that. It's a very important verse. It's in verse 34. It's the first half of this. But Jesus was saying this to them, or actually praying for them. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So you can't put compassion over criticalness. If you need to be moved to make that choice. May the cross of Christ move you to compassion over criticalness. Next time that person comes 
that you just feel compelled to say something. May the cross move you to give compassion instead of criticalness. May the next time that someone comes and they give you criticism and you just want to fight back at them, may the cross of Christ move you to choose compassion over criticism in your response. Chapter 22, just a chapter before where Jesus prayed, forgive them for they know not what they do. He said this in the company of his disciples. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine and now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he said in this way, same way, he took the cup and after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let us first take together the bread which represents the body of Christ, which is broken for us. And let us take the cup which is a memorial of the blood that was shed for us that our sins could be forgiven. Let's drink Dear God, we thank you and we praise you for how much your cross teaches us. We praise you, Lord, that your cross teaches us not to be critical, but to have compassion instead. We thank you, Lord, that your cross has made a provision to pay for the sins of our criticalness. That, Lord, you don't stand as those who have come to know you as their Savior There's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That you paid the price for our sins, Lord. We thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you that through your cross, you are also able to provide for us your very presence in us through the Holy Spirit. That we're not left here to live this life in our own flesh, but we can choose compassion over criticism because your Holy Spirit lives within us. We thank you for that. May we, Lord, as a people, continue to allow your cross to move us to choose to have compassion over criticism. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.